he's definitely a faster runner at this point, but we're close enough that we can train together. And he always jokes that he trains so that I can't run away from him. My A goal was actually, actually to finish holding hands and both smiling at the finish line. That was Rainier and Melissa Powa, and this is episode 149 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. It's time for another couple of the quarter episode. This time we welcome Rainier and Melissa Powa from Calgary, Alberta to the show. They are quite the power couple who met at work at a lunch run club. Both have excelled in both cycling and running. Rainier placed second at Canadian Nationals in the duathlon in 2017 before he ran his first marathon in 2018 and soon found himself podium finishing at Trail Ultras. Most recently, he placed third at Sinister 7, his first 100 miler. He is currently VP of Technology at Getty Images. Melissa is a coach, entrepreneur, and CPA. She is founder of We Run the World Coaching and The Run Lounge, and is currently coaching Rainier. She has had many notable athletic accomplishments of her own, including multiple top national finishes in the duathlon, top 10 Canadian in marathon and half marathon championships from 2017 to 2019. She placed first at the Lost Soul 50K last year, second Canadian in the VK championships this year, and currently has a marathon PR of 239. In this episode, we talk about how Rainier and Melissa met, how they support each other and balance their priorities, both daily and in their yearly training cycles, and how they challenge each other. We talk about Rainier's Sinister 7 race in July, Melissa's nonstop energy and entrepreneurial adventures, and what's coming up for them next. We hope you enjoy this episode. So Melissa and Ren, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You, um, I've been really excited, and actually Carolyn has too. We've both been really excited uh, waiting for this interview and to talk to you more. You are uh, another one of our official couples of the quarter, and we like mm-hmm. to have couples on who are you know, sometimes it's a running couple where they both run. Sometimes it's one runner and the other supports um, in some way. But you both definitely have your place in the running community and on the road, track, trail. So it's going to be really fun to chat with with you about it all. Um, before we get too much into the interview, though, we definitely want you to introduce yourselves. And I'm going to throw a little twist here that you may or may not have been prepared for. We're going to ask you to introduce each other. We find it fun to hear what one partner says about the other partner when they introduce them. So let's start with Ren. Why don't you introduce (laughs) Melissa? Okay, perfect. Let's see if I get this right. Melissa, 39, born in a uh, small town in BC uh, called Quinnell, which probably most people don't know. Household consisting of three other sisters. And so you can imagine the uh, shenanigans that ensued. Professionally, she is a, uh, a chartered accountant um, turned serial entrepreneur. Um, mm-hmm. So she became a running coach, business owner, philanthropist. She's on multiple boards, just a, a busy body through and through. Interests are uh, obviously dogs. If you followed her on any social platform, you you won't uh, be able to miss that part. 
um, music, traveling, um, nice glass of wine at the end of the day. <laughs> Sounds okay. like we could get along just fine. <laughs> <laughs> he still no. doesn't know that busybody means meddling in other people's business. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your face that. when you said that. You're like, really? Am I a busybody? <laughs> it means something well, guess, different where I'm from. But you get paid to do that as a coach, right? So that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Uh, all right. So, Melissa, why don't you give us an introduction of Rainier? Sure. Um, Rainier is... 47 and uh, just actually had a birthday and he is a VP at Getty Images. He is uh, anyone who meets Rainier instantly loves him because he's probably one of the kindest humans on the planet. And I would say one of his best and worst qualities is that he puts everyone else before himself. Mm -hmm. So I think running is a, you know, as an individual sport has been hard for him sometimes because he recognizes it takes uh doing something for himself, but I think it's been been really good for him. Uh, when I met him, he had never ran past 10K, maybe 12K, and this was just 10 years ago. And I remember he came out on a 14K run with me, and that was his longest run to date, and now he just finished and podiumed his first 100-miler. So uh, come a long way there. But uh, Renda's good at anything he puts his mind to. And so in you know professionally, athletically, as a husband, as a dad, he's a, he's an all-star. Wow. Well, we'll have to hear more about the evolution from the 10 K to the hundred miler as we go <laughs> along in this conversation. But first, how did the two of you meet? This is our couple of the quarter. So we're always interested in your backstory. You said it was about 10 years ago. So, uh, what conspired for the two of you to come together? Well, the uh, the version that my daughter likes to tell is that she happened to find us serendipitously skating one evening and made the love connection for us. Um, but little did she know we had planned to meet there and introduce her to, to my daughter. <laughs> but we kind of let her go on with that story for a few years. Um, we, we met at work um, and not in the same department at all, but we were, she was into running um, and there was a, a local uh, group that would run at lunch. And one of the guys that organized it was someone who I worked with and I I, you know, I saw Melissa around the office and I was yeah, interested in running um, suddenly. And so I would show up for these, these, these lunch hour runs and, uh, and really just fake it till you make it. And I was uh, kind of determined to, to get to know her. And, uh, and it was a great avenue to, to do that. And now did you have to ask her a lot of questions so she would keep talking so she wouldn't know that you were out of breath and couldn't really keep up? <laughs> um, there was definitely a lot of in interrogation. I, you know, I was, I was very persistent. Uh, she'll still let you know that uh, my, my courting uh, lasted for a long time uh, before she agreed to go on a date with me. <laughs> so, so she's very selective. <laughs> Indeed. Well, his side of the story is fairly accurate. However, I was I was 29 and I had recently been, um, I had been married already. And so when I met Rainier, I mean, to be honest, I thought he was just too nice, too good. Like, I was like, this guy can't be this nice. But also he had two young kids and that was a big thing for me. So it, it took a lot of convincing for him, but uh, it made it worth it. And uh, now they've been, now they've been in my life for 10 years and 
obviously no looking back now, but uh, so yeah. Well, that's, that's <laughs> special. So um, 10 years later, here you are. Now, I understand that at least in the beginning, um, when you met, you you split your time between a lot of different things. And I, I understand you may still do. So biking, road running, duathlons, trail running. I mean, there's maybe some family thrown in there too every so often. So tell us a little bit about, you know, some of your athletic backgrounds and, and passions, maybe in addition to running. When I met Rainier, I had been on a bike since I was probably in my teens. And uh, funny enough, he lent me this bike that he had in his garage that weighed like 50 pounds. And he's on his carbon road bike and tells me to go for a bike ride with him. And I hated it. But learning that the, you know, the weight of the bike matters. And so when I got a little bit more into it, it was really just to be able to spend time with him. And that was my sole purpose because he would go on these six hour Sunday long rides. And he thought, well, you know, if I want to spend time with him, then I should probably ride a bike. And, uh, and that's really how I picked up the bike. And the only reason I started racing duathlon was running was my um, core sport. But I only took it up after really I got went through my first divorce. So I just took it up as a hobby. And, uh, but then I got injured. And so then I started taking um, cycling up more seriously. I had some talent there, I hired a coach. And um, once I was able to run again, I'd decided to go into duathlon and uh, really had a lot of fun with that. But then, you know, and I went to Worlds um, for Canada in 2018 and got my ass kicked on the run and learned pretty hard that if I wanted to do better in duathlon, I needed to become a faster runner. So my goal was, you know, go away from the cycling sport um, and return to it once I was a better runner. But I got so addicted to running that the, I've never really gone back to cycling competitively. So, uh, yeah, the plan was always to go back to duathlon. But as I age, uh, the speeds of the duathletes just don't get any slower. And, uh, and I, I, my heart really is in the run. But we do still cycle for fun. Okay, that's really interesting. And I, I want to bring you into this too, run, but you wanted to become a better runner for the, the duathlon. Mm -hmm. But then you just love the running so much. So tell us, you said that was in 2018. 18 like mm -hmm. that wasn't even that long ago and now you're a what like a 230 something marathoner like you're yeah. really speedy <laughs> well you know I was I had was developing my run but it wasn't fast enough like to give you an example in 2018 I was I looked down and kilometer one was the fastest kilometer I'd ever ran and I was second to last and so these girls were running so fast off the run. It was just a whole new experience for me because I had competed in age group the year prior and won and thought, oh, okay, you know what, this is good enough. But it was just a whole new level on, a, mm -hmm. on an international stage that I wasn't quite prepared for. Um, but so, yeah, that's, and so leaving that, I really, like, I, I think I ran like a 37 minute 10K at the start of that race to be last pretty much last on that run. So that's how much the talent level was. And I just wasn't there on the run. And what saved me was my bike. So I got on my bike and I just TT'd and hoped to not get caught because once you're caught, you're out. And so that's how that day went. <laughs> now, some people would like, there's one of sort of two ways. If you come last, you run a 10, 37 minute NK and come last. Some people would be like, I'm out like this sucks. Um, but it sounds like you almost went the other way. Like, how can I get better at this? How can I get better at this? What do you think it was that caused you to stick with it and want to, to improve the way that you have? 
Well, I will admit I was very embarrassed by my performance and I thought I'd let everyone down. And uh, it took me a couple months to recover from that. And then I finally realized like that was a really big privilege to get to represent Canada and compete at that level. So essentially like quit being a baby and work on what you need to work on. And I, I say that loosely, but it took a lot of getting, but I now credit that race to where I've come on the run because I would have never pushed at that level had I not competed at that level because it takes surrounding yourself with better runners or better at anything to get better. And I think that, you know, you just get used to doing your training plan. But I, I recognize if, if I ever wanted to do this again, and I did at the time, I would I needed to put more effort into the run. As Mel says, when we met, um, I was really only into bike racing. And so I had dabbled a little bit in, in, in some duathlon, I, a little bit into running, like, right, you know, as right. I said, just enough to, to get to know Melissa for pretty much. Um, but bike racing was my, my life uh, outside of every, all the other things. It was, uh, you know, you train 15 hours or 12 to 15 hours a week on the bike, uh, whether it's in the basement or outside, just hammering out the miles. It was all road racing. And um, I was racing, you know, I got up to, to Cat 2, which is the highest level you can attain in Alberta. And and yet I was into my, you know, into 40 now, 40 years old, and, and it's becoming increasingly harder to, to even just maintain my position in the Peloton. And, um, but, you know, when I met Mel, and we, as she said, we wanted to spend time together. Um, I think you had a, a, a bit of a foot injury at the time. Um, and so we needed a little bit of time off running anyway. And so she got into the bike and when she says she got success, she's being extremely modest. She, uh, won the provincial time trial and, and upgraded to the highest category in the province within two years. Um, so there, there's a natural affinity there that, um, I mean, everyone saw it right away. It was like, where the hell did she come from? Um, which, which was great because we also, it also meant that we could train together. Right. She was so strong. Right. We could go on bike trips. Um, we went to Italy. We went to, the, you know, go to BC to, to ride bikes together. And we, you know, she could drop me on any climb she wants to. <laughs> and so it was fun for me. It kept me pushing hard um, to get to stay good in that sport. So um, she pushed you for running and you pushed did. her for cycling. Yeah. So where did it go from there? You know, you were both excelling at two different sports here. What happened next? Well, I think for Melissa probably ventured first because I was still bike racing and, and hanging on um, to my and to holding on to the back of the pack of, of bike racing for as long as I could. But Mel, you moved on to, as you said, after the duathlon to running full time. Yeah, and I think it's kind of continued to naturally evolve. Like one of us will, as Ren said, we're fairly compatible. Now, I mean, run times, don't get me wrong, like he's definitely a faster runner at this point, but we're close enough that we can train together. And and at the time, like I would get a new PB that was, you know, faster than his. And it was never a competitive thing, but he would go, oh, she can do that. I can do that too. And I want to just, he always jokes that he trains so that I can't run away from him, but, uh, <laughs> and uh, he's doing a good job at that because he's gotten some pretty good running results himself. But, you know, I think it, we, we push each other and, you know, we have people ask me, don't you hate it when he beats you? I'm like, no, I like it when he beats me. Cause you know, I know that if, I beat Rainier in any race, it means that he's had a bad day, right? And so, uh, but, you know, it is, it's been really good on the bike and on the run where we're close enough that any given day, one of us is pushing each other and it just kind of keeps us 
rising up and having a reason to train just to be able to do it together. I think that's so cool that you can train together. Like the only time my husband and I can ever run together is like if I'm doing a workout and he's like doing his easy run, you know, and it doesn't always line up like that because we're often doing our workout on the same day. But I'm always like, oh, it's going to work where you can like run alongside me at mar- my marathon pace or something like that. So I think that's pretty, pretty neat that uh, you get to train together. That's yeah. special. Yeah. We recognize that. We don't take that for granted for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you know, I'm curious, being fairly proficient at, at the two sports, I mean, a lot of, I'm one of those runners that will only bike when I have to, when I can't run, <laughs> when it's like recovery run or I'm injured or something like that. But how have you found that they've complemented each other? You know, do you, do you kind of, how do you, I guess my question is both that and how you split your time now like do you find that you integrate a lot of cycling into your run training for that you know um less mechanical stress type of activity or what does that look like for you now yeah i can start with that one i I think both of us um in in an effort to really improve in running we nearly completely switched um other than maybe a few weeks of a year of they were in the okanagan let's bring bikes and, and and ride some hills there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was only more recently when I started long distance ultra training that I wanted to be more deliberate about including bike into my total volume. Um, so whereas for the shorter shorter distance, like the marathons and, and less, um, it was a lot about just time on your feet and a time mm-hmm. on the roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that specificity, like for the ultra training, I really went at it with I just need volume and I need just time out there. I need, you know, for my circulation, for my digestion, for my aerobic system to, mm-hmm. to adapt to this. Um, and it was fun. It would, I mean, whether it's just commuting or it's going out on some longer rides in the hills. Um, and for, for mental, uh, like for, for sanity purposes as well, just to get some variety in there. Absolutely. I was reading your blog a little bit and you actually had some stats on the number of hours that you spent running and the number of hours that you spent cycling. And it sounded like it was a, definitely an intentional part of your training program for, for Sinister anyways. Yeah. And I mean, Melissa's my coach and we talked about that at the beginning of the session, just strength was important and time on the bike was important. And running mileage was not important. At no point did I have any targets for the week or probably not even for the for most of the runs that they have mileage targets. It was all about time, um, yeah. whether that was time running or time cross-training. Climbing, hiking, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, that might be a good segue now into let's talk uh, for a few minutes about Sinister 7. Um, if you're anywhere in you know Canada, you probably know about this race. Um, but for those that don't, it is a 100-mile race in the Crow's Nest Pass in southern Alberta. Some amazing terrain. It is hard. It has respect for a reason. One of the things I think that makes it so hard is fairly tight cutoffs. Uh, The overall race limit is 30 hours, which might sound like a long time, but for the amount of um, um, climbing that you have to do, some of the hot sections and some of the segments do have pretty tight cutoffs. It can be hard to even complete it, more or less podium finish. And congratulations, Rainier, you, you know, not only um, completed, but you finished in third place overall. So for your 
first 100 miler, I believe. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was first. yeah. Well done. Um, and well done, coach Melissa. <laughs> for getting yeah. there. I had the pleasure of meeting uh, both of you in person, actually, at mm-hmm. I think it was uh, Transitionary Five Six. Mm-hmm. Um, some, somewhere around midnight or so as, as you came through, Ren, and for your um, resupply. And I will tell you, before you arrived, Melissa and I shared a glass of wine. <laughs> it was quite a little girl party here in the, in the dusty parking lot waiting for you to come in. One of the perks of being crew. Um, but yeah, why don't you both tell us a little bit about you know, I'm interested in the training and then the execution. So why don't we get Melissa to tell us a little bit about what, what Ren's training program looked like for this race? Yeah. Um, so we, I mean, it starts back six months, I would say. Um, Ren was pretty scared of the distance for a good reason. And also, like you said, Sinister Seven's no easy 100 miler. We actually built his plan a lot together. Um, I would say no to things that were absolutely bad ideas. Um, my goal there is to more keep him in check because typically Ren just wants to more, 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 um, forgetting that, you know, he's pushing this next decade. Um, but the, (laughs) so we actually had a plan where we put him through a good threshold training block, um, working on some speed and uh, distance at the same time. And so we were actually signed up for Boston together and we agreed that, I mean, Ren wasn't going to chase a PB there because his A goal for the year was sinister seven. So we put him through a threshold training block and we got to train together a lot. So then we ran Boston together because he still had to train to run with me, but he didn't have to absolutely destroy himself. So it was kind of um, the best of both worlds. I had a partner, essentially a pacer for the entire Boston. Um, and, uh, and it, it kept his fitness really high and his speed up. So from there we moved on, he did the Calgary 50 K and then really switched direction to trails and climbing, working on his weakness, which is the climbing, um, came a long way. But like you said, Kim, just really a lot of hiking. It was time on his feet. We really focused on that for him over distance and aerobic capacity because the reality is he has years and years of it so that's that's what his training block looked like was that a hard switch Ren for you to make mentally like I know some marathon runners will get really like obsessed right like oh with their weekly mileage and all this so was it hard for you to kind of leave that behind and and sort of take a different um, route with this and trust the process um, there was maybe a little bit, but again, with the bike training, it was never about mileage either. Like my whole sort of past athletic, uh, part of my life was all about hours and, and training stress. Um, so that, that part wasn't, wasn't too bad. It, you know, first thing you, you have to stop comparing. I found I had to, early in my running career, I'd, I'd really compare myself with what other people are running and how many kilometers they're running. And what kind of stuff they're running and then oh they you know, i ran 100 kilometers this week yay oh so and so ran 130 i'm like oh maybe i should be running 130 yeah. and i know mel gets this all the time from from clients and and uh it's, it's pretty common we see this you know, strava is is great but that's uh strava. It, yeah, curse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is it is a blessing curse um so i think for this block it was as mel, mel says i was scared shitless of the distance uh, and the and the race itself, and so I was just ready to try um, all the things to make sure that I got mm-hmm. to the start line healthy. What was the right. farthest that you had run before this? Uh, ha- exactly half the fifty mile at that's wow, in. Uh, that's two a years big ago. jump. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, other than maybe 100 100Ks, you know, 125Ks, there's not much between 50 miles and 100 mm-hmm. for races. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a 70-mile fat dog race, but you kind of have to really look for them. Um, I want to spend a few moments, though, talking about the strength part of your training plan. So Carolyn and I are both huge proponents of, of strength workouts for runners. Um, when you move into races of that kind of duration, um, I mean, having strength can really help with muscle fiber recruitment and form late in the game and just outright durability, right? Your connective tissue, your tendons, not just your muscles need to be unbreakable um, to perform in a hundred mile race. So what did your strength program look like? And did you feel that it benefited you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, it's something that I used to take a lot more seriously when I was younger and then kind of you get into sort of a maintenance mode. Um, and it, I think in, when you're younger, you can get away with that stuff. And I, I again, being completely um, just nervous about what my body was going to go through after, you know, a day of running. Um, that was, it was certainly like an area we wanted to focus on. So for Christmas, Mel got me, uh, hired a strength coach, color Breville, uh, Bree. Uh, Gustafson, and she was great. And she recognized, again, that the six-month buildup, um, how to periodize the training such that I'd be ready to go with with the most muscular endurance when I needed it. So starting with sort of higher uh, higher weights, lower reps, and moving into uh, almost you know, calisthenic style, where it was a lot of um, a lot of dynamic exercises, where you're you know like like burpees and, and I hate burpees, but things like that would be thrown in where you're just constantly moving, you're getting your heart rate up. And this was often after a big hiking or a running day. And so your muscles are a little depleted and then you're still going back to doing those, those complex exercises. Mm-hmm. They're, they work, they definitely get you uh, that, those adaptations needed to be able to keep climbing. You know, leg six in, in, uh, in sin seven comes after I don't know, 120k, 130k, mm-hmm. and you—it's mm-hmm. the biggest climb of the entire race. Uh, you climb a thousand meters in about 10k, and it's steep, and so you need to have all any any muscles you have left. You, you still need them for at that point, and so. Well, yeah. and I would argue not only do you need them for leg six for climbing, but then you have a hell of a descent coming down leg seven, <laughs> and that eccentric <laughs> load on the quads. <laughs> you know, can, can do a lot of people in as well. So yeah, it's, um, it's something that is becoming more mainstream. You know, people are less resistance to the thought of doing strength training for endurance sports, but I really don't think it's optional, especially if you want to remain uninjured to do those kind of, kind of, um, events. So, yeah. And it sounds like you had a very, healthy respect for the distance. Like you were doubling your mileage, but sometimes, you know, again, sometimes people with an endurance background, like you have, will kind of go in a bit cocky, like, Oh, I've done a whole bunch of stuff. I'm fit. I'm like, I've been doing this for decades or whatever. And, and, and maybe be missing some of that respect for the distance. What kind of role, maybe I'll ask you, Melissa, (laughs) what kind of role do you think that his healthy respect for the hundred miler played into maybe even his success on the day? 
Well, this may make me, this may sound counterintuitive to what a coach should do, but I know him and I know he can be cocky because he does typically do well. And I mean, he puts in the work, so he should do well, but every day is its own. And, you know, he'd never tackle this hundred miler. So instead of like encouraging him to go for a podium spot or anything, I kept holding him back and saying, don't think about that. And that, that was, I don't know how many times I told him that. Do not think about the podium. If you just do your thing out there and you have a good day, you'll probably land one. But that's not why you're out there. It's your first 100 miler. Use it for experience. And I don't know, I probably sounded like a broken record leading up to his race about this. But just, I mean, obviously having the benefit of knowing him thoroughly, that was the thing that he really needed. And I think uh, it helped him um to, to, again, respect the distance and know that his only job out there was to get to the finish line. You know, one of our mutual friends, Elsa McDonald, has been on the show before. And one of the things that she said that has stuck with me is that it's it's an 80-mile warm-up for a 20-mile race. And that you don't have to be fast. You just have to slow down the least. Right? I love her advice. Yeah, I absolutely. Great little isms. They're so yeah. good. Yeah. So I guess my question to you before we close the loop on Sinister, because we have a lot more to talk about here tonight, Ren, is, you know, when I saw you coming through transition area six, you were in fourth place at that point. Maybe it was five going into six. You finished in third place. So did you turn on the burners? Did you get super competitive? Was it a race in the last 20 miles? Or were you one of those people that just managed not to slow down while everybody else, or not everybody else, but the, the third place runner fell off what was it yeah yeah um it was probably a bit a bit of both um i found my legs again around kilometer 100 which to me was shocking um especially after the probably gone through about 40k of just suffering and cramping and just hating life um but around kilometer 100 i I started to feel really good again i noticed that i'd been running consistently and I wasn't eating a ton, but it was enough to maintain the relatively low, um, low level of stress that the running was required, you know, low uh, pace. But I did find myself just still running, running the hills, running the flats, running the downs. And I caught, um, I guess, who was, you know, the gentleman who was in third. And we talked for a little bit and he he stopped and was kind of going the other way. And I just kept running and I found that I'd gap him on, on, on the climbs. That gave me a little bit more of a boost. And then as I started catching more relayers and some of the 50 milers, I just started to get a little bit more um, enthusiasm and confidence. And then going into transition, um, that was a pretty quick stop because um, I knew that, that Buddy was behind me. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it became about, okay, new, like back to my, my new goal, uh, which is still place as well as I can. I didn't, I, I wasn't, I think you, Melissa and then I told me I might have been in third or competing for third. And so the last thing I wanted to do was lose another race by, you know, a minute. Like I've, I've been in that position. It sucks, especially if you know with enough time in advance that there's an opportunity to get ahead of that. And so I quick trick transition, power through. My climbing was going really well. Um, looking back, I'd put a, a lot of time in on, on him into the climb but was suffering immensely on, on the downhills. I was kicking rocks and my toes were starting to get all damaged. Um, and every descent, he, he was clawing back to me. And oh. like six was like that, like seven was like that. Um, so I, I think I was 25 minutes ahead of him at one point. 
in the end, I, I only beat him by four minutes. So it came down to just keep going, it was a just race. keep going. And yeah, it was absolutely yeah. a race for me. Yeah. It was 100% a race. Yeah. One thing, though, too, that Ren forgot to mention was in order to keep his competitiveness at bay, we agreed that we would not let him know what place he was in at any given point until the last leg. So he came in probably right after you had just seen him, Kim. I, he, I said, do you want to know what place you're in now? He's like, tell me. I'm like, you're in third, but not. It's very close. And he was like in and out of transition and gone because Ren had been spending a lot of time in transition. His defense was very hot out. It was the only comfortable place we'd get him shaded. Um, but it was it was enough to get him out. And so there is a time to turn that competitive mm -hmm. edge on, mm -hmm. but not when you're in a hundred mile race at kilometer zero. So it was the right time for him. And again, being his coach and his wife, I know him and I knew it was the right time. And I've never seen, I hadn't seen him move in and out of transition as fast as he did right then and there. So it lights a fire in him, but it has, it was at the, it was the right moment for it. Yeah. And who knows if he'd known earlier, right. Mm -hmm. If he'd known for like the 50 K before that, like that might've not had the same impact as it did to learn that, that new piece of information at that point in the mm -hmm. race. But I wanted to go back to something you said you, you were cramping and you were struggling like earlier on, and then you almost got this second wind pretty late in the race. How maybe Melissa, like, I don't know how common is that in a hundred miler to get a, a kind of second wind like that? Well, Ren actually can speak to it because I think, I mean, in speaking to a lot of his buddies, like he's good friends with Scott Cooper, who won the race that day and they trained together a lot. And so he's gotten a lot of advice from them, but you'll hear it from Ailsa or anyone that is, you know, a veteran at these things. You're never going to feel good for a hundred miles, right? So you have to, it's, you have to really learn how to get through those dark moments. I've never done a hundred mile on myself, but having listening, listened to my clients and my friends that have done them, you have to prepare for those moments because it's, I think essentially who can get themselves out of them. We saw a lot of people DNF at, after like three sitting in the crew um, because that's a nasty leg as well. And, you know, you're not even remotely halfway yet. So, you know, it's, can you get through that? And now Ren didn't look very good after leg three either, but it's finding that motivation or that reason to yeah. keep pushing and waiting for that second wind or whatever he called it. Yeah. Well, cause I know in the marathon, yeah. like barely anyone ever comes back unless you're Safan Hassan. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> marathon. I couldn't believe it. She's like cramping and going off to the side to stretch and then comes back. You do not see that very much in the marathon. So I just was curious, maybe Ren, did you want to speak to the, the cramping bit and the getting your second wind later on? Uh, just, I mean, Mel nailed it. It, it just, it's very common, like 70% DNF rate in, in the hundred mile this year. It's extremely high. I think it's probably the biggest learning for most people is that you actually usually do come back from those. And so, I mean, there are various legitimate reasons to DNF, um, but I, I think the learning that I've had as well is you, you often, there's another, you know, there's a good cycle at, at the end of the bad one and you know, maybe second wind, maybe 10th mm -hmm. wind. Yeah. I don't know how many wins I got. Well, the nice thing about a hundred mile distance is that, you know, it gets cooler in the evenings and often people mm -hmm. feel really crummy midday in the heat and they're pukey and the electrolytes are all off. As soon as the sun starts to go down, that, at least that's for me when I start to go, oh, like I've got new life in these legs. And some people hate the night. That's one of the things I love about the night is, is um, it's almost like a, a new day, really a new, a new time to reset. So 
And probably yeah. a really valuable lesson inside of an ultra marathon that there's like cycles, right? That totally. you feel good and you feel bad and you feel good. And it's sort of a, a bigger metaphor for life in a way, I, I guess. This is coming from the person who's never done an ultra marathon. However, um, I don't want to leave this topic without going back to something that you said, Melissa, earlier on about that part of his build was helping or running the Boston Marathon with you. Um, mm -hmm. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that day? How did that day go for the two of you? I do remember seeing on your Instagram, the two of you holding hands and, and <laughs> crossing the finish line together, which is so sweet and so special. Um, how was that day for you? Because you were racing all out that day, weren't you? I did. Um, that day makes me emotional. It was probably one of the most, I, I called it one of the best days of my life. And it sounds very cheesy, but it was true. We ran together. I I had a terrible training block. Like the winter here was awful. It was, I was never hitting paces, um, even remotely close to what I thought I could run. And so I went out with, I wasn't looking to PB, it's Boston. I thought, you know what, if I can run a solid sub 245, I will be happy. That's my A goal. So let's pace smart. Let's go out for that. Um, uh, and so Ren said, yeah, all in, let's do it. And, you know, we hit the halfway mark at a sub 80 minute half and I was I was feeling good but we knew we needed to in order to uh bake some time with you know Newton Hills to come so I kept my goal on sub 245 I didn't try and get greedy but um I you know I passed the halfway mat and I had this guy running beside me and ran on the way just give you some insight into my personality and he said to me he's like what you running today and I said oh sub 245 he's like you went out a little fast and I was like, no, I didn't. And then, like, what do you say to him? Like, Forget about it. But from that point on, it was like, I was like, no, we are doing this. And <laughs> Just tell me I can't. <laughs> but, you know, it was funny because one of the things he had said to me, I can get quite down on myself and be like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, I can't do this. And he said, I'm going to run with you, but there's under one condition. You're not allowed to say anything negative about yourself. And so I, I remember feeling quite rough on some of the hills and I, I was like, going to be like, I can't do this. And instead of saying that, I was like, if we're going to do this today, Ren, we need to pull it back on the hills. No problem. And that's what we did. And it was just this weird mind shift. And I was having so much fun. Like it was just one of these days. And so at one point, Ren says to me, he's like, we're going to do this. And I was like, yeah, we are. Like, I just had a really good attitude the whole way, but I just had fun and like a mile to go. I mean, I don't know if you've ran Boston, but how you have, Carolyn, um, yes. and and uh, it's uh, that last two mile strip, like getting how they seed you. There were not a lot of girls in my wave. And so the crowds went, I mean, the crowd go nuts for everyone, but they would see a girl and just go wild. And so we were getting like a lot of people yelling at us for that reason. So whenever you would kind of get the crowd, like they just went, they went berserk. So, I mean, you couldn't help but have an amazing day out there. And, and, uh, we were pretty lucky to be able, like I said, we, we know we're very lucky to be able to do these things together. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, Ren, he was my Sherpa. He would run and grab or my go and grab gels for me and make sure I was drinking. I mean, I'll never have that experience again. And so, yeah, it was just a really big privilege. And I, you know, I ran the race of my life. I felt like I ran stronger that day than I think I even ran when I did run a sub 240, but it's just a harder course. And, and I knew that. And uh, I managed, I was second Canadian that day. And it was something that I was very, very proud of. And yeah, just the fact that we got to run it together. It was something I'll never forget. Mm. 
Oh, something I, to be proud yeah, of. that is mm-hmm. that is absolutely amazing. And did you ever see that guy afterwards? Like, look at me. I ran a sub 245. I couldn't tell you anything about him other than what came out of his mouth. But you know what? I thank him after because it gave me that will that I was yeah. like, this is happening. <laughs> well, it's almost like the same thing of, of Ren learning that he was in third place. Yeah. Right. Later in the race. It's like the crowds, the energy, this guy kind of doubting you or whatever. It's like kind of this little perfect storm to get you all fired up and and having a good day. But I'm wondering how much of a coincidence you think it is that you were having so much fun and you had a good day. Like, I kind of think that they're one in the same, eh? Like what, you know, you said you can get down on yourself, but in this one, that was kind of part of the deal is that you couldn't get down on yourself. Brilliant, Ren, by the way. I th- and did you catch yourself having like yes. kind of starting to think those thoughts? Okay, maybe maybe talk a little bit about that. I remember that. exactly what happened is around kilometer 15 because they tell you that Boston is all downhill to start, but it's not. Yes, it's downhill, but there are some hills in there and we were hitting them hard. I mean, the, it's, there's so many people. It's almost like a vortex that you're just sucked along with. So you're moving fast and it's, uh, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I started to feel the, feel the hills early and I thought, Ooh, this is not good. And, uh, that's where I started to kind of have a panic and I thought, Nope, it's okay. You're actually well ahead of pace. Calm down, take it, step it back and uh, away you go and, and continue to eat, make sure you're fueling and, and just stay positive. And honestly, my best races have always been that. And we agreed the start of Boston, no matter what happened that day, we were going to have fun. We didn't care what that meant. We're going to go for a goal, my goal, not his. And if it, uh, and if it, worked great but if we saw that passing us by we were promised to still have fun and and yeah. and that's what we did but we just got lucky and got both fun and an oh awesome gosh. race yeah for the record my a goal was actually actually to finish holding hands and both smiling at the finish line now <laughs> smiling and we were actually also crying i think at the finish line but mostly smiling Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I know even um, like I've done a little bit of pacing sometimes and it's so rewarding. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost more rewarding to pace somebody to their epic day than it is for you to have your own epic day. Or is that just me? Like, can you speak to that a little bit, Ren? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mel and I and, and, the, and the, the club, we run the world that we, we, you know, the whole club loves doing this. It's just become this infectious, um, contagious, positive energy that you can share with somebody else and we both have, have paced many people um, for all sorts of races and it, yeah. it, it's, it's extremely rewarding and you almost mm-hmm. takes all the weight off your own shoulders uh, for your own performance when you're doing it you may not even be much slower than like to be honest I don't know that I would have gone any faster at Boston but it felt almost effortless knowing that I had a job yeah. to do I was like she oh. said Sherpa domestique bodyguard you know i had to be everywhere to, just surrounded by <laughs> all these coming through yeah, exactly. clear the way <laughs> yeah. exactly with our club like during covid i mean we actually were featuring canadian running magazine for that very thing carolyn is we took the virtual races by storm because i thought okay what can we do to keep everyone motivated and in good mental health run right and so but without races on the calendar what are we going to do so we really took the virtual races by storm and i'm not kidding you we'd have two or three pacers out per 
for somebody's race and there'd be 20 people at their finish virtual finish line. And so it, it became a thing where people wanted to pace because it was so rewarding. I pretty much gave up all of my goals during COVID just to pace. And, you know, it kept my fitness high, but it also was very, very rewarding a way to keep myself motivated too. Mm. Sounds like fun. Well, you've mm. both mentioned your club. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about We Run the World Coaching. I'll take this one since it is my club. Um, but uh, I, you know, I, as Ren mentioned, he called me a CA, but I'm a CPA, but I mean, no difference really. And, <laughs> and I was working in finance and, uh, and was just doing some coaching on the side. And really I got into it because you'll, I don't know if you know my logo, but it's a, a girl running. It's the, um, and my, my real passion was to help women find um, confidence through running and what it had done for me after, you know, my divorce and whatever else I was going through. And so I found that it really helped me. So I wanted to do that for others. So it started with about eight people that were close friends and it just, they start getting results and then their, you know, their spouse or their friend wanted to join because they wanted to run together. And it's now evolved into a club of, I think we have about 110 clients and I think we're spread across eight coaches now. We have, wow. but uh, wow. so you know, it's a it's a big club, but it's it's a really um, welcoming club, and we've just got all levels, and it's just been really fun to see that evolve. Now, Ren is also actually coaching ultra runners, um, and so yeah, so it's that's that's the story behind we run the world coaching. Oh, cool. That's excellent. So, Ren, you um, recently received your USCA certification. Am I correct with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that had been on my mind for a while, and then. Going into to the hundred miler, I, I knew I have a tendency to become a little obsessed about these projects. And uh, <laughs> Mel's nodding in violent agreement. Um, and I knew I would be spending a lot of time probably on YouTube or on you know just Googling how do you run a hundred miler for dummies and those kinds of things. <laughs> and so I thought, well, how maybe channel it towards something a little bit more productive. And so yeah, I did I did register with that certification finished the, the class also added the sports psychology um just because it's another passion hobby of mine Wise. for, for yeah. many years mm-hmm. is that that's the ultra certification is that jason coops yes um, right yeah yeah okay yeah because exactly. i have uesca as well but not that for the ultra just for the regular running but yeah cool so you can offer your athletes a broad range of coach coaches mm-hmm. and coaching styles and certifications it sounds like especially with that many coaches on your team yeah, it, it's amazing. Yeah. There's somebody for everyone. And, you know, we've even moved clients to a different coach. If, you know, we, it, you know, they started, we just want to make sure that it works for the client and we just want people running at the end of the day. Every, it makes, it makes everyone happier when they're running. So <laughs> I agree. Yeah. We, uh, I'm not quite as much now. Cause I do have a day job that's not running associated, yeah. but when Carolyn and I met, we were, yeah. It was our day job, our Mm -hmm. recreation, our podcast. Everything was about running all day long, every day. I might say we're not especially balanced. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're in good company here. We're all a little bit obsessive about the things that we love. So on that note, you have yet another entrepreneurial endeavor that you launched not that long ago, um, which is the Run Lounge um, here in Calgary. So I'm not sure... Rainier, are you involved in that as well, or is this more Melissa's thing? This is Melissa's baby. Is I just Melissa's yeah, baby. volunteer okay. there sometimes. But yeah. Okay, so tell us about the Run Lounge. This is a super cool idea. 
Yeah, you know, we had seen this um, popping up for cycling. And, and you know, um, we actually thought about doing it for cycling. But then uh, another similar one was open in Calgary. So we thought, well, it's been done already. And then Ren actually is the one who said, we could do it for running. And I mean, running is more our passion at this point in time anyway. And I said, yeah, leave it with me. I'm doing this. And so that's kind of where it evolved. It was out on a dog walk one day. And that's where the idea kind of came. And uh, so what the Run Lounge is, is it's just, it's services for runners, um, you know, recovery and performance, everything that we offer has that aspect to it. So, you know, an infrared sauna, we've got um, Normatec compression boots, we've got an um, light speed lift, which is essentially an anti-gravity treadmill system. We have, you know, muscle stimulation equipment but the concept behind it was to create this hub or this place that people could come have access to equipment that they might not be able to afford on their own but hang out with like-minded people because runners love to talk about running and so you know on uh and and also i offer gait analysis i'm certified in gait analysis and i was offering that to all my clients but we lived in the far south and it was inaccessible and i thought this is something that could really benefit a lot more people and so we just wanted to create a space where we could offer that and actually the gait analysis is probably one of the most popular items that we offer and it's i absolutely love doing it you know helping somebody that keeps getting injured figure out why like that's so rewarding mm, and absolutely. so yeah and so that's where you know the concept that's where the idea came from and it's we opened last april ren says he's just volunteers but he obviously has put a lot of um, work into getting it going as well but yeah so that's that's the run lounge and you're located downtown calgary we are yeah downtown right across from eau claire market perfect location Mm -hmm. where the run group start exactly and (laughs) And then right into the lounge yeah I'm sure that was not by accident (laughs) nope yeah Um, yeah. now is this something that like is it just your location in Calgary or is it like a franchise that you could it's just my location it could definitely be franchise I know when I first opened it I had a lot of strangers reach out on Instagram but you know running a brick and mortar it's uh it's a lot of work and so I put a lot of energy into that um last year and I I actually it a lot of tears were shed over the project you know it was so worth it when it was all said and done but you know trying to manage the club and and open a at the run lounge I learned pretty quickly that I um do have my limits and uh so you know I only spend one day in there a week and I I drop in for the gate analysis but I do have some amazing young girls that run it for me during Mm. the week amazing well, maybe uh, since you are a serial entrepreneur, maybe the like franchise piece is like down the road. Somewhere. Totally. <laughs> awesome. Well, we could talk to the two of you forever. This has been such a fun conversation, but why don't we close it out with just asking each of you how you balance supporting each other and your own individual needs with regards to your training? It sounds like you two have a lot going on and you're kind of supporting each other, right? Melissa's your coach and, and all of that. So how does it all work? Like that's kind of the point of these couples of the quarter, especially when both of you are runners and running at such a high level. Like how does this happen for you two? I'll take a a first crack at that. I I think one of the things that we learned, I think recently ish was to not always set a goal for the same race. I think we would both go into an event quite, you know, stressed. And then if we were both targeting the same race, it, it was, a little harder to overcome some of those things. And so picking alternating A races really helped, like Boston being Mel's, Sin being mine. 
we both trained with each other, but we, the priority was who's running the A race, right? So like the week leading before sin, the dogs are up early. Mel woke up every day with the dogs and fed them. And so they gave me a little bit more sleep because she knew I was going to need that on race day. Um, and so just that, I think to me, that's been one of the biggest ways that we've been able to balance it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, he's right. I mean, we have chosen similar A races and they have gone well. But I think tackling something like the 100 miler or, you know, or a really big marathon goal just does take so much more not just training time, but energy, you're exhausted after, right? And so having that, but, uh, you know, I think one of the things too is, like I said early on, when I introduced Rainier, he is the most selfless person. And so it's, I really get a lot of pride out of watching him train for something because I know he's taking time for himself. So I loved watching him train for this 100 miler because I knew he was doing it for himself and and he was just loving it. And it was, you know, just something that was really good for him. So it doesn't always need to be about an A goal. Like I said, I kind of became a competitive runner just by, you know, improving and and over time. Um, I obviously take my running seriously, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not going to the Olympics. So I think just it, and it's part of our pastime, we get to train together and, and that really complements each other. It's what we love to do. So, <laughs> you know, no other couple has really articulated that point before on our show. And I actually think it's a huge one now that you mention it, mm-hmm. you know, not only does it allow you to balance your energies, but you get to be a genuine cheerleader for the mm-hmm. other person. Well, without being focused on yourself. Totally. In the same event, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, I think is probably a sustainable way to go about it. You know, you can truly be present in, in the race mindset and then the other person's present in the support mindset and you're not competing priorities there. So I think that's really wise of you. So listen up, listeners. If you want to <laughs> stay with your partner, that might be a, a good one to consider. Um, all right. So um, what's next for you guys? Do you have anything coming up on your race calendars yet for the rest of this year? Well, I have Chicago Marathon, although yesterday I stubbed my pinky toe and I'm worried it's broken, but I'm still hopeful <laughs> that I have Chicago Marathon because, you know, it's a fast course and and I feel like it would be a good one to really, I'm in like PR mindset. I think after a strong Boston, I know on a fast course I could do lay down something good. So that's my that's my goal there. Excellent. Hey, what about yeah. you? And for me... Um, not racing the Chicago Marathon. Um, I'm jumping in on the 5K, but it's it's not a, an A goal for me at all. But then uh, looking at a 50K in Austin in November, mm. uh, which is a qualifier for Leadville. So hopefully they'll be getting to that uh, next year. Which one is that? Which 50K is that? It's called the Austin Rattler. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So you just did a hundred miler and your next race is going to be a 5k. Carolyn, are you liking what you're hearing here? She's probably so proud of you right now. (laughs) The Boston 5k, like I think some fast people go out and knock that one off, don't they? Like, uh, yeah, I think all those ones, um, or what did I say? Did I say Chicago? Chicago. I think I might've said Boston, but either way, I think there's usually some fast 5k fields assembled before those major marathons. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Excellent. So where can people find you if they want to know more, both about coaching, about the run lounge, maybe follow your personal experiences in running? 
Well, I can go first. I have a few handles because of all the businesses. So my personal one is Puppy Mama Runner. So if they want to see me run or if they want to see my dogs, they can follow me there. Um, there's also We Run the World Coaching is the handle for our coaching um, club and The Run Lounge for The Run Lounge. Okay. Yeah, so that covers the coaching part. I think for me, um, at wrens.toes, will be the one that I'll promote. <laughs> this is shaking your head, but if you know, you know. This is the, uh, the account uh, that everyone's talking about these days. Okay. And, and if you really want to see pictures of Ren's toes, you'll follow Elsa McDonald because she manages to uh, post a lot of Ren's toes as well. <laughs> all right, we will add all of those exciting handles into the show notes. Well, thank you so much both for joining us for this this chat. It's been really um, interesting. You sound like really interesting people to get to know further, hopefully run into you out on the trails or maybe downtown at some point. And um, all the best with, with your future race plans for the rest of the year. Thanks so much. That was fun. Yeah. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs>